0: You must feel really good. My name is Andrew, like Pastor Daniel said. I'm the lead pastor of New Life East. It's a joy to be with you tonight. Felt like the good old days standing with you on the front row there. You want to team teach with me tonight? Oh, man. Okay, well, I appreciate that the door is always open. So, uh, We're in the book of Matthew chapter 5 tonight, so I'll invite you to turn your Bibles there. Uh, working on a sermon series uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody say the Sermon on the Mount. You say, why do they call it the Sermon on the Mount? It's because it's the sermon that Jesus gave us from a mountain. And so that's as simple as things get in the Scriptures. But the Sermon on the Mount is this beautiful statement of what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And as we've been journeying through this series, we've seen it kind of move in stages. And so first of all, in the Beatitudes, you remember the Beatitudes, What Jesus does before he begins giving us instructions about the kingdom of God is he helps open our eyes to the reality of the kingdom of God. So he takes our taken for granted world and he turns it inside out and upside down. And he says, you know, you're not blessed like when you have a lot of money or when your body is always healthier, when all your friends are working, but you're blessed when you're poor and you're mourning and you're meek and you're persecuted. Like that's when you're blessed. He's trying to help us see the kingdom. And then he starts kind of shaping us. After getting us to see the kingdom, he starts shaping us for what the kingdom requires. And one of the things that he says early in the book of Matthew 5 is he says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of God. And what we've learned is that what Jesus wants to do, like the surpassing righteousness, isn't just about white knuckling it and kind of trying harder for Jesus, but it's about opening our spirits up to the living God so that we can be changed. And accordingly, accordingly, then, when Jesus starts walking through what he wants us to do and be, he begins to take a look at some of the old commandments of the old covenant, and he gets underneath the surface, you know? Like, you've heard that it was said, for instance, he says, don't murder. He says, but I'm telling you, it's good advice. Like, if you just stop at don't murder, that's great, but there's more going on here, you know? So he says, don't murder, but anybody who's angry in their hearts at their brother, that's a person liable to judgment. What's he doing? He's getting underneath the surface, and he's getting at our hearts. And so we saw him tackle anger. And then in the past couple weeks, we've watched Jesus tackle the issue of our sexuality. So two Friday nights in a row. And I heard those sermons went really good. Do you want to do a third one on sexuality? You're kind of like the sex guru around here now. Okay. (laughs) So we're going to let him off the hook. So he talks about our sexuality. But see what he's doing is he's tackling The big issues that cause so much misery in our lives. And so anger and broken relationships cause a lot of misery in our lives, don't they? And so Jesus is halting the advance of hell by getting at those issues at the root. And sexual immorality and broken relationships, broken marriages, those cause a lot of misery in our lives, don't they? So he's getting at those things. And now, here as we start coming to the end of Matthew chapter 5, he's going to take one more area that causes a great deal of misery in our lives, and he's going to help us peel it apart so that we can see what life in the kingdom of God is like. And that is the issue of our speech. Everybody say our speech. And the Bible knows that our speech is really powerful. Proverbs 18, 21. Some of you may know it. The scripture says that death and life are in the tongue. That's right. So death and life are in the tongue, Proverbs 18, 21, you memorized a Bible verse tonight, congratulations. The Bible knows that our speech is really powerful. And so Jesus puts it in front of us and then he helps us see it in a different light. So with that, here we are, Matthew chapter five, starting here in verse 33, the scripture says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I'm telling you, don't swear an oath at all. Either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And don't swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no, and anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Uh, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Let us pray. Do you know what I've been asking for all day, God? I'm just going to ask you again here tonight. I'm asking that we would see your face, uh, that you would show us your glory. And there's nothing like seeing the face of God. Of course, you are invisible and you dwell in an unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. But Paul also says that we've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the incarnate one. Tonight, we're asking to see the face of the incarnate one as his will and his ways, as his heart has given to us in the scriptures, Augustine said, for now, see the scripture of God as the face of God melt in its presence. And oh, we pray for that tonight. We ask that as we open this text, as we play with it a little bit and we let it read us, we pray that somehow the scripture of God would become the face of God and that all the stuff in us that's hard, and calloused, all this stuff in us that's misaligned with the kingdom, all this stuff in us that's calcified, well, we pray that we would melt in your presence, that we become moldable again tonight. So do that. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you'd come. The scripture compares you to fire. And so we pray that the warmth of the spirit would come into our midst. Tonight we pray that you would burn away hell in us. We pray that you would establish us in heaven itself. Anchor us again in Christ Jesus. Help us see what life could be like if we followed him and trusted him. Grant that, we're praying. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. So Jesus says, don't break your oath. Everybody say oath. Oh, that's because I'm from Wisconsin, so that's how we handle those vowels as we take long loping journeys through them. Don't, (laughs) you Minnesotans do that too, I've met some of you. So don't break your oath, Jesus says, but fulfill to the Lord the, did you read it? You have your Bible in front of you. Break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the, vow. That's right, that you have made. We're talking about oaths and vows tonight. Now, these are related concepts, so they're like a little bit different, so we, but we all know what they are, so everybody knows what an oath is. An oath would be like, put your hand on the Bible, right, your left hand on the Bible, and you raise your right hand, and you say, do you swear, right, to tell the, the, and so help you, God. Okay, what is that? That's an oath. Okay, so you're about to say some things, and so you're making a solemn pledge right then and there that the things that are about to come out of your mouth, that these are true as best you are able to understand. Okay, that's an oath, all right? A vow, something a little bit different. Mandy and I are going on 23 years of marriage. This August is gonna be 23 years, and so thank you, I appreciate that. Um, She's a good woman. She's uh, persevered through a lot. And so the, uh, the vow is what we did... August six two thousand, we stood in front of God and all these witnesses, yeah, and we said, "For better, or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness or in health, to, to love and cherish until death do us part." Is what we said, and what is that? That's a vow. So that's a pledge about the things that I am going to do. So we're taking the words that are coming out of our mouths, yeah, and we're taking our actions, and we're somehow we're trying to like authenticate those. Right? That's what we're doing with those. And vows, and in a world like ours, it's like actually kind of important that we make promises like this, that we have m- moments like this. And the Old Testament, the Scriptures, actually do know this. They make provision for this. So, for instance, here's uh, the book of Leviticus. Moses is speaking to the people, and he says, Don't swear falsely by the name of the Lord, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Okay? So here is the Lord saying to the people, don't swear falsely. Don't take an oath And say that you're gonna say one thing, but those are actually false words. Because when you do that, you actually mess up my name. So that's an oath. Here's another one. This is from the book of Numbers. Next slide. When a man makes a vow, oaths and vows, makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by pledge, he must not break his word, but he must do everything that he said. Why? Because he swore by heaven to do that thing, so you better follow that. So we have an oath and we have a vow. And then upping the ante altogether, this is the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, chapter 6, verse 13, the Lord says, Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oath, Swear. And only in his name, right? So the Lord's like, if you ever take an oath, if you ever make a pledge, if you ever make a promise, you, don't, you can't even make it by your head or by you know, swearing on your mama's grave or whatever. You can only do it in my name, says the Lord. He's trying to help us with our speech. And when you think about it, actually, so seriously does God take our speech that two of the Ten Commandments actually have to do with our language, right? Think about the third commandment. Anybody know the third commandment? Yeah. (laughs) Well, welcome to catechism class, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Yeah, that's right. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's right. Do you know what the Hebrew actually is there? It's really telling, actually. The Hebrew says that thou shalt not carry the name of the Lord your God into emptiness. Like, don't use God's name. Like, if God is reality itself, don't use God's name to plunge yourself in the world around you into emptiness. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Of course, later in the Ten Commandments, we also get, thou shalt not bear false witness. Our speech is, like, really important. Okay, so... All of that being said, you might expect that Jesus, who has come among us to try to fix the world and put it back together, would look at all these commands. Don't break your oath, but keep the vows that you've made to the Lord. And you might expect Jesus to go, that's really good advice. So if you just try harder, guys, you know, life will get better instead. What does he do? He throws a grenade in the whole thing. He goes, I'm telling you not, don't swear at all. Either by heaven, because it's God's throne, or by the earth, it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king. Don't even square by your head. You can't make one hair white or black. Just let your yes be yes. and your no be. No. no, and anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus, you're so severe. So here's the question. What, according to Jesus, are the problem? What is the problem with oaths and vows? What's the problem with oaths and vows? How many homeowners do we have here tonight? We have homeowners. In the, can you just raise your hands? Yeah. Okay. Man, I'm so grateful to be a homeowner. I remember the first house that Mandy and I bought many years ago. We were living in Tulsa, down just off of 21st Street, uh, right across the street from the Tulsa Driller, a large yellow man with a hat who wasn't clear whether or not he was wearing a shirt, but that's a whole other thing. If you've been to Tulsa, if you know, you know. And we were living in this cute little house, little three bed, one bath, 1,100 square feet, Red brick, perfect little house to raise our little family in. And we were renting it at a really, really reasonable price and just enjoying it so much. And we'd been there for six, nine months maybe. And the owners came to us and they said, hey, we're getting ready to, uh, like, we don't want this house anymore and we want to sell it and we would like to sell it to you if you would like to stay in the house. You could buy it from us. Are you interested? And they were selling it for like $100,000. What? Remember those days? (laughs) Holy cow. And so Mandy and I did the math and we worked the numbers and we were like, we can make this work in our budget. And so in my mind, I just thought, this is gonna be easy, right? Like we're already living in the house. And so we'll just like, it'll be like a little bit of paperwork, maybe a couple handshakes or something. And then we'll live happily ever after in this place. And so we set the date to go meet, you know, at the land and title company. And we sat down at the conference table and they brought in a stack of papers this high, with all the little tabs, sign here, sign here, sign here. And so we're signing. Andrew Arnt, Andrew Burden Arndt, ABA, and the date. Andrew Burden Arndt, Andrew Arnt, Andrew Arnt, Andrew Arndt. So you like, like 19 days later, <laughs> we emerge as the proud owners of our little house. I was beginning to wor- wonder if it was worth the trouble, but. And it like, it's so like, it was one of those first moments in my life where I was like, oh, I think that may be kind of what Jesus is getting at here. Like, why do I have to sign all of those papers? Why isn't it just good enough for me to be like, what's the loan for? $100,000, your boy got gotcha. you. Like, why can't I do that? Because our speech is fundamentally untrustworthy. And so if we're going to take on a commitment of that magnitude, it's oaths and vows and oaths and vows and oaths and vows. That's just the world that we live in. And we actually learn this way of being with one another, a way that's a little bit untrustworthy. From the very, very earliest days of our lives, I can remember several years later, Mandy and I were living in Denver, raising our little family. And at this point, uh, our oldest son, Ethan, was three. And Gabe was two. And it was getting to be dinner time. And Mandy hollered at me one night. And she said, honey, can you... Just yell down to the boys. The boys are in the basement. Can you yell down to the boys and tell them that we're going to uh, eat in like five minutes and tell them that they need to clean up the basement and then come on upstairs and wash their hands and we'll sit down to eat? And I said, sure. So I went over to the basement. I said, guys, I said, your mom is saying you need to clean up the basement because we're going to eat dinner in a couple minutes. Does that sound good? They go, sure. Yeah. And so I want to show you a picture real quick. So this is, um, so that's Gabe Arndt right there with his mom. I know, right? That, that's like a beatitude, is what that is. Like, blessed are the pure in heart, for they—I mean that. Look at that face. It's like the face of God. It's the face of purity and innocence. And he's got. Can there be any guile in that heart? Can there be any mischief or intent to deceive behind those eyes? That's Gabe, barn two years old? And so I yell down to the boys. And 30 seconds later, little Gabe barn, that face right there is at the top of the stairs. And at this point in his life, I called him Gaby. And so I got down real low and I just couldn't believe it. I was like, man, they cleaned up those toys like really, really fast. <laughs> and I said, I said, Gaby, I said, did you clean up the basement? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and right then, a voice from the basement, Ethan. No, he didn't, Ethan said. <laughs> He's lying. So I got down even lower, you know? So now we're like eye to eye. And I said, Gaby, are you lying to me? And you know what he said to me? He said, I like whyin'. Can we put that picture back up there on the screen? I like lying. I like I like lying. Not like, oh dad, you know, you caught me there. I was so sorry, what was I thinking? Yeah, I'll head back downstairs. None of that. No, I just I like he said those words. He said those words. He said them to my face. He didn't blink. He didn't hesitate. He didn't even seem to really have a problem. With it, I just like lying. And I I can remember, I remember standing there in front of a little game and having like a oh no <laughs> parenting moment. Because I thought, how do you okay, so here's like here's the real trick, and you parents in the room, you're kinda like if it was young kids, you're kinda like in the middle of it right now. How do I convey to a two-year-old that it's existentially important that there be a correspondence? between what comes out of your mouth and the actual state of, you know, things and reality. And how do I help him understand that we don't just use our words to get things, but we use our words to tell the truth. And the problem is complicated by the fact that the whole way that we acquire speech in the first place when we're little is to acquire things. That's what we do. We're trying to move towards pleasure and avoid pain. And at some point in our growing maturity, we learn that our speech must be used for more than that. But that's the problem, guys, with our speech, is that we're using it mostly to try to get pleasure and avoid pain, and so we don't actually live in the truth. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And by the way, for such a people, and here's the problem with the oaths and the vows, for such a people who cannot be trusted with their speech in the first place, adding oaths and vows to what you're saying isn't really doing much at all, is it? And I actually don't think that Jesus is saying you shouldn't take any oaths or vows because if he was saying that, then we couldn't get credit cards and we couldn't get houses and marriage as we know it would come to an end, all of that would be obsolete. I think that what he's saying is like you have to get underneath the surface. Here's one of the great New Testament scholars of our day. R.T. France puts it like this, that Jesus' prohibition of swearing is based on the assumption that God requires truthfulness. A simple yes or no should be all that is needed. Next slide. As soon as it's necessary to bolster it with an oath to persuade others to believe what's said, the ideal of transparent truthfulness has been compromised. When we have double motives in our speech, now we can't really have communion with One another. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, was writing about this group of Jews in the first century known as the Essenes, and he said, Oh, this is amazing. He said, Every declaration they make is even stronger than an oath, and indeed, they avoid swearing at all. Next slide. Since they regard it as worse than perjury on the grounds that anyone who can't be believed without an appeal to God is already condemned. If you got to appeal to God to authenticate the things that are coming out of your mouth, you're already a liar. You gave yourself up, which is why Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount, simply let your yes be and your no be. And anything beyond this comes from who? Comes from the evil one. Think about the story of Scripture. Think about the way that our world is constituted. God speaks. The world's in existence by the words of his mouth. And the creation becomes this life-giving, flourishing place because God speaks a truthful word. And think about how the fall of man takes place. The evil one comes in and what does he do? Because he's trying to take something from God. Because he's trying to plunge the creation and us into disorder. What does he do? He takes the speech of God and he twists it. And he gives a kind of shadow version of the truth to these people who believe it. And their lives and the life of every subsequent generation is plunged into darkness. Why? Because the yes wasn't yes and the no wasn't no. And Jesus, wouldn't you believe it, knows what he's talking about. If our speech cannot be trusted, then everything around us is going to be disaster. So the big question is this. Actually, next slide is this. I'll just say it to you this way, that Jesus doesn't save our speech by putting a few band-aids on it. Jesus saves our speech by rebuilding it from the ground up. So the question then is this, what does Christian speech look like? What does Christian speech look like? I'm going to give you a little 101 and how Christians talk here in four points. Okay, here's Christian speech 101, point number one. Christian speech number one grows out of everybody say it reverent
1: silence.
0: Christian speech grows out of reverent silence. I want you to do something tonight. I want you just to get comfortable in your chair real quick and put two feet on the ground on the floor. Yeah, there you go. I don't want you just to take in a deep Breath. The experts say that you're supposed to like do this uh, through your nose. So breathe through your nose. And just exhale through your mouth. And do it again. Breathe in. And breathe out. One more time. And breathe out. And now in your own way, I want you just to welcome the presence of God. Welcome his presence, welcome his beauty, welcome this goodness, welcome this love. And just keep that pattern of breathing for a second or two here. And I want you also to listen. To listen. And get like as still as you can possibly get. There's just something about silence. And do you know what that sound is, the sound of silence? That sound is the sound of God himself. (laughs) And you know it when you've experienced it. You can open your eyes now. You've had moments like this where you've been in the prayer closet and you're reading the scriptures and you were praying and all of a sudden a sense of holiness descended upon you and you just didn't want to speak because it was so profound. Or some of you moms that think about you waking up, I think about my own mom, how she got up in the early quiet hours of the morning, and think about those mornings that you've been up before anybody else, and you're just laying in bed, and you're taking a few deep breaths, and all of a sudden you have a sense of the presence of God, and you just don't want to disturb that with words. Or I think about you men who are hunters, and you go off into the woods for days, sometimes weeks at a time, and you're sitting there in your tree stand, and it's just as silent as can be, and you feel as though to speak a word at all would be a kind of blasphemy, because you're just in it, and like the magnitude of God, I'm saying to you that the sound of silence is the sound of God. That experience right there, do you know what that is? That's called the fear of the Lord. <laughs> it's an experience of holiness, and when you're in it, it changes the way that you think about your speech, think about the experience of Elijah on Mount Horeb, First Kings chapter 19. The scripture says he's running away from Jezebel and he goes and he hides in this mountain. And the scripture says that the Lord God calls to him and says, go stand on the face of the mountain. And God begins to pass by and there's an earthquake and there's a fire and there's wind. And the scripture says, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake and he wasn't in the fire and he wasn't in the wind. And then the scripture says, and then after all of that came the sound of, of a gentle whisper. Do you know what the Hebrew actually says? After that came the sound of silence, and God spoke to Elijah from within that. Christians realize that the world is full of manipulative, evil, and abusive words. And so what they do is they anchor themselves in the reality of God, the presence of God, the holiness of God, and they will not speak a word unless that word somehow amplifies the sense of holiness that they have become addicted to. The great poet of the last generation, Wendell Berry, once said, Try to make a poem that does not disturb the silence out of which it came. And Christians feel that way about their speech. That we're so lost in a sense of reverence and so lost in holiness and so lost in the fear of God that I wouldn't want to put anything out in the world. Well, that makes ugly a world that you're trying to make beautiful by your speech, oh God. Christian speech grows out of reverent silence. A sense of holiness is what tempers our speech and makes it life-giving, number one. Number two, Christian speech I want to say to you tonight is, say it church, It's simple, and what else is it? It's simple and sincere. It's not dressed up in all kinds of flowery language. It's not caked together with all kinds of religiosity. It's none of that stuff. It's simple, and it's sincere. Jesus says, simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Can people believe the stuff that is coming out of your mouth? And unfortunately, we have a huge, that's my Wisconsin coming out again long ago. We have a huge problem with this in the church, and I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it's because we're just so eager to impress one another and show each other that we've got it all together and that we're walking with Jesus and making it work. I cannot tell you. I've been in the church my entire life. I cannot tell you how many times I've walked into a church building and across the way, like, I will see somebody that I haven't seen in a long time, and I'm very eager, genuinely eager, to know how they're doing and how life is going. And so I will say to them, how are you doing? And I will get some answer that goes something like this. They will say, brother, I'm blessed and highly favored. They'll say, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. The enemies that are coming at me from one direction are fleeing from me. And seven, I'm always at the top, never at the bottom. And they'll just go on and on. And I don't really know what to do with that when that Where's the human here? And I meant what I said. When I said, how are you? I didn't need you to do this religious song and dance that I think was designed to get me to think that you're better off than maybe you, you really are. I just wanted to know how you are, but I think that you're not willing to let me know how you are, I think what you're doing is you're afraid in some way, and so you're caking yourself in religious language, and you're trying to create some distance between you and I, and if you want to live that way, I guess that's okay, but I think that God has better for us. I think that the intent of the Spirit is to bring our lives together in koinonia, to knit our lives together so that we can live in the truth with one another, so that when our lives are hurting or when they're in pain, we can say it to our brothers and sisters, and they can hold that pain. And by the way, it's so refreshing. The writer of Proverbs says that an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. There's an intimacy that's created when we're honest with one another. I had one of our staffers at New Life East plop down in my office. We had a meeting about something else planned. And this person plopped down and I took a deep breath and I looked him in the eye and I said, hey, how are you doing? And this person took a deep breath and said to me, not great. And I said, oh, well, what's going on? And they said, well, this thing is happening and that thing is happening. And my wife and I are facing this thing and we've got questions about this issue and we're just not really sure what to do. And as he shared, all of a sudden, I'm like cut to the heart by what's happening in front of me. And now tears are beginning to stream down my face. Then tears are streaming down his face. And I said, man, can we pray? And he said, I would love it if we would pray. And so we lifted up our hearts together in the presence of God. We said, God, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of the mistress. So our eyes are looking to you, oh God, for you to show us mercy. Would you please have mercy? Would you please help? Would you please show us what to do? Something beautiful was created in that moment. Why? Because there was a risk of honesty. It took place. Can we do this in the church? Can we be this kind of a people? And it's such a privilege. All of a sudden, those moments, when somebody is genuinely honest and heart touches heart, those are some of the most beautiful moments. They're holy moments. They're moments of the presence of God. Friends, we need to be this kind of a people. Christian speech is simple and it's, sincere, it's honest about what's going on. We have so many ways in the church in which we get this wrong. I think about one of the ways I've seen this done so many times is by those, but you've probably gotten this before in your life too. Like I think about all those Christian business people out there, if you're in business in some way, you're a Christian business person. And I think about how many times in my life, Mandy and I have gotten like a Facebook message from somebody, you know, it'll start out like this. It'll be like, Andrew and Mandy, dear Andrew and Mandy. You were really on my heart the other day Oh, I'm so grateful that I wound up on somebody's heart. Thanks be to God. Continue reading. And so I was praying about you. This message is getting better by the second here on your heart. And you were praying for me. And the Lord really impressed upon me that I think you would really enjoy this product that I sell. As the day is long, I am grateful to be on your heart. (laughs) And and God knows I will take prayer around the clock. But do not in God's name try to sell me your thing. We have a commandment for that. (laughs) Do you remember it? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Don't carry it into emptiness. Because now you know what you have done here By attaching God's name to this thing, you have set up a situation where I'm going to be manipulated in some way by you, or at least that's what's set up here. Because if God is telling you to tell me about this product, then in rejecting the product, I am rejecting, and God knows I don't want to reject God, how about this? Maybe just tell me you have a great product and I should give it a try sometime. And don't get God all tangled up in it. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. It's manipulative, and that's what the evil one is trying to do. The evil one is trying to manipulate us to get us to do what he wants to do. Frederick Dale Bruner, another great New Testament scholar, says this, that Jesus seeks to make our speech simpler, less exaggerated, more down-to-earth, and even less outwardly spiritual, less filled with spiritual formulas. Just tell the truth and assume that because God's the God of truth, he lives in it, and we're all going to get where we need to go. Can I get an amen from somebody? And so Christian speech grows out of reverence, silence, and simple and sincere. Christian speech number three is honest. Everybody say honest. honest. And it's honest. kind. It is honest, and it's what? Honest. Kind. And it's both of those things at the same time together. Look at the Apostle Paul here, Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes, speaking the truth in, speaking the truth in what? The truth in? Love, what happens? We're gonna grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So when the truth is spoken in love, we become all that we're intended to be. Or look at John here, second John verse three. John writes, Grace, mercy, and peace. Don't oh, those sound like amazing things. How many of you want grace, mercy, and peace? Yes, ah, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, will be with us where? In truth and what else? Love and truth and love, both of these things at the same level of intensity. This is how we step into the kingdom of God. This is how we become all that God intends us to be. And unfortunately, we really struggle with this, don't we? We got a lot of folks out there that they're just like warriors for the truth, right? And so they're always just whatever comes into their mind, whatever they think, whatever opinion they have, they don't filter it. It just comes right out. And they're warriors for the truth in their own minds. But they don't have. And if you don't have love, you don't actually have the truth, do you? Why is that? Because God is love. And so if you don't have love, you don't have the truth. Because God is love. And so to speak the truth without love is actually even worse. It's actually to tell a lie. It's a falsehood in some way. But we have some people who are like that. On the other hand, we have other folks who go, you know, I just don't want to offend anybody and I don't want to ruffle any feathers and I don't want to get in anybody's way. So I have a difficult time with the truth, but I love speaking love. I just want everybody to feel good and get along and have a great time. And you surrender the truth all over the place, which means that the relationships are constantly in disorder and a disordered relationship actually is a lie. And it's not actually a loving relationship, is it? You have to have both of these things at the same time. And I'm telling you, when the truth is spoken in love to you, it is the most beautiful thing in the world. Do you have friends in your life like this who are willing to say the hard thing to you? They're willing to say to you, hey, hey, I don't know if you see it, but every time you get in this situation, you tend to behave like this. And I'm not sure if you understand the damage it's doing around you, but I'd advise you, maybe to think about this in a different way. Man, those moments in my life, when folks have had the courage to say to me the thing that I needed to hear, changed my life. I'm better for it. And we also live in a culture, guys. This is so like crucial for the life of our society right now. We live in a society that is just completely lost. And I'll have people say to me all the time, they'll go, Pastor... I always hear you talk about like being gracious and loving and merciful and all of that. But are you saying, are you saying that like we shouldn't go out in culture and talk to the culture about like, you know, what's, you know, what God requires and uh, should we not address the culture and society and government? Are you telling us to button our mouths here? And I'm not saying that at all. Do I actually think we, well, we have to? I think the stuff that's happening in culture and society and government. This is our job. If we're not gonna raise our voices about what's right, who is going to do it? But Jesus says that we're we're called to be the light of the world. We're a city set on a hill. This is our job. This is what we're supposed to do. But here is the thing. We have so many Christians now that what they're doing is they're adding heat to the conversation, but they're not adding light. The emotional temperature is going up but we're not getting smarter in the process. And if you can't add as much light to the conversation as you are adding heat, get out of the conversation. We need you in a way that we need you there in a way that's winsome and wise and honest and we also need you there in a way that is humble. Cuz there's an outside possibility. I'm just going to submit this to you. That in your strongest, most deeply held opinions, you might be wrong. Woo! Somebody got slain in the spirit over that one.
2: <laughs> what?
0: But imagine if we entered the public conversation. Not just with the strength of our convictions, but also with the humility that is appropriate for people who are sinners being sanctified. As you put your opinion out there and your thoughts out there about what's right, and somebody comes back to you and says, well, have you ever considered it from this perspective? And you go, I mean, this would be like a breakthrough moment. You go, huh? Well, I've never thought about it that way. You bring up a really good point. And now, do you know what has happened? Public intelligence has risen. We could do this. We're the people of God. We're full of the Spirit. We could enter the conversation in a way that is both truthful and it's loving and it's humble. Simply let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from who? The evil one. And so Christian speech grows out of reverent silence and it's simple and sincere and it's honest and kind, but this might be the most important one of all. And with this, we begin to make the turn into communion. Christian speech, it's willing to lose. Christian speech is willing to lose. Do you know where all of the problems of our speech come from? They come from the problem of Gabe Aren't. <laughs> We keep trying to use our language to win. We keep trying to use our language to get things. We keep trying to use our language to duck pain, and therefore our language is skewed. Christian speech is willing to lose. The psalmist said it this way Psalm 15, 4. The psalmist wrote that this person, the righteous person, that's not the right one. Never mind. Somewhere in that same psalm, the psalmist said that the righteous person is the one who keeps their oaths even when it hurts. That you're not trying to wiggle your way out of your commitments, but you said what you've said, and if it brings you pain, that's okay. Or better yet, the book of Revelation, John, seeing the saints at the end of history, John says this, that they triumphed over the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and... They what? They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. We know that these things are true because the one who spoke the Sermon on the Mount, the one who delivered these words, the one who was the truthful word of God incarnate, do you know what he did? He made the good confession before Pontius Pilate and he surrendered his life up unto death even death on a cross. The truthful word himself didn't try to manipulate the outcome, didn't try to steer things his way, didn't try to get it to go the way that he wanted it to go. The living word himself told the truth and died. And this is what Paul says. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And what will happen? Every tongue will finally confess. They will tell the truth that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, the word, surrendered his life up unto death. And the Father vindicated him by the resurrection and has been vindicating him ever since. And one day, everybody will see that he was the truth in person. And if it's true of Jesus, it's true of you. The invitation of the gospel is to trust it. Can we stand tonight? And would you now just begin to invite the Spirit into your heart, into your life. This is a moment of examination. That's what we do before we come to the table. As we say, search us, O God, Search us, O God. Search our speech. Isaiah said that he saw this vision and an angel took a coal with tongs from the altar and he touched Isaiah's lips. That's what we're saying tonight. We're saying touch our lips, O God. We're saying purify our speech, O God. And we pray that you would make us the kind of people who speak and act in ways that are consistent with the living word himself, Jesus the Lord. And so we pray that our speech would grow out of reverent silence. We pray that the fear of the Lord would fall upon us. We pray that you would make our speech in every way simple and sincere, that people would believe what's coming out of our mouths because we have a track record of truthfulness. And we pray that our speech would be honest and kind. Would you make us that kind of a people in a world that knows so little of honesty and so little of kindness? Would you make us a people who are truth in love all day long? And then would you help us stop (laughs) trying to control the outcome of everything? Would you help us surrender our lives and the life of this world to the strong arms of the one who holds it all together by the word of his mouth? Teach us to trust you tonight, we're praying. Teach us to trust you, we're praying I'm going to invite our communion servers to come forward tonight. Friends, they'll be on the right and on the left up here. And as you come, we're going to respond with the song of worship together. You'll come forward and you'll take your communion elements and then take them back to your seat. And then in just a couple of minutes to your pastor, Daniel, will lead us to the table. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.
1: For you.
3: Would you get your communion elements ready to receive? Take that bread and hold it in your hands. And we need to pray through these four things tonight before we receive. Could you bring the lights down on the stage just a little bit? I want you to kind of have a time of introspection here. I want you to think about your words and before you take the bread, would you put your hand on your lips and ask the Lord to cleanse your lips, to cleanse your speech. Lord, we pray that our words would rise from reverent silence. James said it this way, quick to listen, slow to speak slow to become angry. So, Lord, we pray that you would heal our speech with reverent silence. Lord, we pray that our words would be simple and sincere. Yes, yes, no, no. Give us simple and sincere speech. Lord, we pray tonight that our words would be honest and kind. Those of us who need to bolster our honesty, give us strength, boldness to say it. Those of us who need the the kind quotient to rise, make us kind. Lord, we pray that you'd heal our speech and make our speech honest and kind, finally willing to lose, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. And so, Lord, we're inviting you to heal our speech. Would you just begin to say, Lord, forgive me, I repent for every time I've misused words, where I've broken people with my words. Where I've taken your name in vain with my words. Lord, we repent tonight. And think about Jesus on the night he's betrayed. He takes the bread and he breaks it. Would you break that little wafer in your hands? And tonight with your imagination, what I want you to to imagine you're doing as you receive this bread is you're getting the very word of God inside of you. Jesus himself. You're You're taking the word in that will transform our speech. So Lord, tonight... We receive from you Jesus on the night he's betrayed, takes the bread and he breaks it. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. You may receive the bread tonight. On the same night, he took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood. And it's given for the remission of your sins. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Friends, tonight, you're, you're ready to drink in forgiveness. You're ready to drink in the life of God that washes those offenses away. As you receive tonight the forgiveness of God, I'm also a sense that some of you are aware of the people you need to reach out to to repent. Words that were spoken that broke someone else that wounded someone else. As Jesus forgives you tonight, he's washing that away, but it's nice to circle back and to repent to that person. So just consider this week who you need to reach out to, who you need to speak life over. So tonight, friends, the blood of Christ shed for you, you may receive forgiveness from Jesus. I want us to sing a couple more songs here. We've got a little bit of time. Some of you have been following what's happening in Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury College, the the prayer meeting, the worship service that's been going on there for, I think now, 11 days, 10, 11 days, these students. And there's something sweeping across America. What I love about Friday night is this is our native territory. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is why we've got the World Prayer Center. This isn't new to us. But I want us to press in right now and just ask the Lord that he'd continue to sweep our nation. As Andrew was saying, we need revival in our land. We need God's outpouring among us. And so let's press in here tonight and let's begin to sing Um let's go with uh on you today, hallelujah for the Lord, God Almighty reigns. Hallelujah. Come on, church, hallelujah for the Lord. We say pour out your spirit on our